This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. really appreciate that you could be with us and we can serve God together and worship Him in song and in prayer. And appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things we study will first and foremost be in strict accordance to God's Word. And secondly, that it would be useful to you and be beneficial as we continue our Christian walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about the topic of tolerance. You know, it's, it's no surprise to any of us that the, the landscape, especially here in America, is just continually changing. The political landscape, political landscape, people's beliefs, people's philosophies, their way of life, it's just continually changing. We have a lot of things going on, and we have a lot of people out in the world telling us Christians that we should be tolerant of them, that we should be loving because God loves them, and that we should be loving of them. And, and what they really mean by that is that we should tolerate anything that they choose to do, anything that they want to do. You know, just a couple of the things that, that we've seen recently, we've seen uh, people saying that men can be women if they want. We've seen parents allowing their children to quote-unquote choose what gender they want to be when they get old enough to choose. We see fornication is continually on the rise. We see many people practicing all forms of idolatry. And the list can go on and on and on. We see this all the time. And they tell us as Christians that we should be loving, we should be kind, and we should always be there for them and tolerate everything that, that they do. So I want to look at for a little while this morning is what should we do as Christians and what does the Bible specifically teach us about this concept of tolerance? And should we be tolerant of those things? Now one thing I want to make very clear is there's always things that people will do that we don't agree with or that quite frankly may just annoy us. I'm not talking about those things specifically. What specifically I am talking about is sin. So when people have sin in their life and they want us to be tolerant of that sin, not just little annoyances or things that we don't agree with. So the first thing to look at if we're going to talk about tolerance is what is sin? Well, if we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is going against whatever God has put in motion and in His law, specifically what we should follow as Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Here's a list of just some common sins that we see practiced every day out in the world. We see this all the time. And, and Paul is writing to the church of Corinth here, and he's very clear, and he's very specific, and he says, you know the people who practice these things and who do these things in life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we know that this sin is the transgression of the law, and if you have these things in your life, it is sin, and it's transgression of the law. Now God also is very clear on His point and His position of how He feels against this sin. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 9, it says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he that loveth him, but he that lo he loveth him that follow after righteousness. God says it's an abomination unto him. That word abomination, when you really look it up, it means it makes him sick to his stomach. He cannot stand it. He hates it. 
he absolutely hates sin. If you go down in the same chapter, Proverbs 15, and look at verse 26, it says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. Even the thoughts of people who have sin in their life and do these things, even the thoughts are an abomination to the Lord. God hates it. He absolutely hates sin. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Here's seven things that God once again says he hates, and it, it all points back to sin. So God is absolutely against sin. And if we have sin in our life, as Christians, we know that we should not be tolerant of these sins because God's not tolerant of these sins. In Psalms chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So when we think about these sins in people's life, we see that, that it's ungodly. It is against God's, God's nature and it's against His law. So the ungodly, they will perish if they still have this sin in their life. And also James 1 and 15, it says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the Bible tells us that sin, if these people that have sin in their life, and these things that, that they tell us as Christians that we should be tolerant of, well, the Bible teaches us that it will lead to death for them, and they will perish. So just from these few verses that we've seen so far, it's very easy for us to see it's very clear that God is against sin. He hates it. It's an abomination to Him. That sin in people's life will lead them to death. And if God hates sin and it's an abomination to Him, then us as Christians and being disciples and followers of God and representative of Him, then how should we feel about it? Well, if we know that the Bible is very clear and God's response to sin is that He hates it, then why do so many people out in the world today tell us that we should be tolerant of this sin? That we should tolerate what they do? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter, two, verse, or cha 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. When you look at that, you look at verses 2 through 4 there, that's quite a long list of things that we would say is not good. We say truce breakers. We think the people that are unholy, the disobedient to their parents. You have all these different things, and we see that those are not good. Those are things that God does not like. Look at that in verse 5, what it says. Even these people that have these things in their life, says they have a form of godliness. What does that mean that they have a form of godliness? Sometimes... They can seem on the outside to be a righteous person or seem to be a person that would follow after God, but it's just a form of godliness. It's not actual godliness. It's a deception. And sometimes we as Christians, we can get deceived by this. We can say, well, they seem to be a good person. 
So I'm sure you've seen people in your life where they seem like really good moral people, but at the end of the day, they're really not following after God's word. They're really not doing what God wants them to do. So this form of godliness, they appear to be religious, religious, but they're not really following God with their heart. They want to look good, but, they, but God knows their heart. And sometimes we can get misled from this, this form of godliness. Romans chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, it says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is a lot of people today. That they do have a definite zeal in their life. They have an excitement and an energy to promote whatever they see fit. Now one thing about it is we have to remember that people tend to think whatever they're doing is right. Or they probably wouldn't be doing it. There's not a whole lot of people who go around and do evil and know they're doing evil and just continually want to do that and spread that. They probably think what they're doing is right. So they have a zeal of God, but it says there in verse 2, but it's not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's knowledge. They haven't truly submitted themselves to the knowledge of God, to His Word. And since they haven't done that, then it says that they go about to establish their own righteousness. So they go with their zeal and with their feelings to establish what they think is right. They may fully believe what they're doing is righteous, and they're quite frankly just ignorant of the truth. They believe what they're doing is right. And they think you should believe what they're doing is right too. So you should be tolerant of that. But it's just quite frankly not according to the knowledge of God. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Sometimes this ignorance of God's knowledge is a willing ignorance. What I mean by willing ignorance is that they don't want to know the truth. They want to hear things that they want to hear. It says right there in verse 3 that they don't want to endure sound doctrine. Don't tell me the things that I want to hear. Tell me the, or don't tell me the things that I need to hear. Tell me the things that I want to hear. So they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They turn the, their ears away from the truth and turn it unto fables. That is a willing ignorance of God's knowledge. You have it right in front of you and you choose not to listen. So some people decide to follow after that. Also in 2 Peter chapter 3, here's a verse that you may hear sometimes. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. You may hear a verse like this, and now what I want you to remember is that's not the whole verse. So what I did was I cut a little bit of this off. It says the Lord's not slack concerning promise. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. You'll hear certain things like God loves everyone. He's not, he doesn't want anybody to perish. And that's true. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But let's finish the verse. But he wishes that all would come to repentance. That is what God really wants. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And I don't think anybody in this room wants to see anybody to perish. But God's law says we must repent of our sins. And if you sin and you're against God's law and you have, it's a transgression against God's law, then God is asking you to come to Him and repent, to turn away from those sins and to do the things that, that He wants you to do. So what we want to look at is people tell us that we should be long-suffering. God tells us that we should be against sin. 
So what should we really do as Christians? Well, there's a difference in tolerance and forbearance or long-suffering. So let's look at those differences. The difference in forbearance or long-suffering, that word can be interchangeable. That means to be patient or self-controlled with. That's with a future expectation of change. You can be patient with someone, you can be patient with someone's struggles, what they're dealing with, but you have an expectation for them to change and to repent. Now to tolerate something, that means to allow the existence, presence, practice, or act of without prohibition or hindrance to permit. That's no future expectation of change. So I want you to think about this. When we're working with people and we see sin in people's lives, we see a transgression of God's law as what they're practicing, we absolutely should not be tolerant of those sins, and we absolutely should be long-suffering and forbearing with those people, have patience with them, but expect them to change. Tolerance is simply you don't expect them to change. You're going to allow them to do whatever they want to do with no opposition, and you're not expecting any change out of that. Now, we also need to remember is that when we are working with people and we see sin in people's lives, we got to remember that this is nothing new. This has been happening since the beginning of time. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8 through 10, it says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. So we have people in the world today saying the same thing, don't we? Tell us, don't, don't tell me what the Bible actually says. Tell me the things that I want to hear. Speak unto me smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Twist the scriptures so it sounds the way that I want it to hear. Don't tell me what the scriptures actually say. This is nothing new. This is not a new concept. This was happening all the way back in Isaiah's time when he was a prophet. And he, he was told to write it in a book because it's going to be like this forever and ever. There's always going to be people like that. There's always going to be people that don't really want to know what the Bible actually says and what God's Word is for them. They want to hear the things that they want to hear. We have an example of this where people would actually follow through that. So in verse 10, it says, Prophesy not unto us right things, but speak unto us smooth things, and prophesy deceits. We have an example where people would actually do that. They would prophesy unto them deceits, and that's in the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. So Jeremiah 23, beginning of verse 13, it says, And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants of thereof as Gomorrah. Now, I know all of you have heard in the past about Sodom and Gomorrah. That is not a pleasant thing. Anytime you hear Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not a place that you want to be. That's the one that God had, had rained down fire and brimstone and completely destroyed them. And in here in, in Jeremiah, he was talking about these people who would prophesy and bail, and he would talk about that they commit adultery, they walk in lies, and he compared them to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And these false prophets would strengthen the evildoers. Right there in verse 14, it says that they walk in lies, that they tell them what they want to do. They strengthen them. They let them do whatever ever they want. If you go down to verse 17, it says, They say still unto them that despise me, The Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they shall say to everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, that no evil shall come upon you. Now let's get this picture in our head for a minute. We just compared this to Sodom and Gomorrah, where there was total wickedness in these two cities. And you have prophets going around, and they're, they're strengthening the hands of the evildoers. They're doing whatever, saying whatever these evildoers want to hear. Now you go on and you hear that they're committing adultery, they're speaking lies, they're doing all these things. And they even say, the Lord has said to me. These prophets are saying, God has said that you will have peace. You can go live however you want. You can go do whatever you want to do, and God will have peace upon you. No evil thing will happen to you. You're okay. Does that sound like tolerance? Does that sound like we're tolerating everything that you want to do, and not just us, but God has said. God has said you'll have peace. God is tolerating your sin. Now, we know that that's not going to happen. But that's what these false prophets were saying. Continue on in verse 21 and 22. This is God talking now. God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil of their doings. God says, these are false prophets. And I did not tell them to say what they're saying. And if I would have told them to say what they should be saying, then all these evil people would turn and they would do right. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to go out and instead of telling people what they want to hear, we need to tell people what they need to hear. We need to tell people that they should follow after God, repent of their sins and do what they need to be doing. God is totally against these people. If we look and we see that, that we know we need to rebuke people, we need to reprove them, and we need to help correct the sin out of their life, we always need to remember how we should respond as Christians. First and foremost, above everything, is always respond from a place of love. In Jude chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. If you look up earlier in that chapter, I have a study around this called Being a Contender for the Faith. When we think about the word contender, that's a fighter. Be someone who fights for the faith. And then you look down here and it says you fight with love. You keep yourself in the love of God. And you can do that in multiple ways, depending upon the situation. In verse 22, it says, And some have compassion, making a difference. Sometimes we save people by truly just being loving, compassionate, helping them, long-suffering, be patient, and help them overcome that sin in their life. But then there's other times where it talks about in verse 23, you might have to get a little more aggressive. You might have to get a little bit more direct. In verse 23, it says, And others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by flesh. Sometimes we've got to get with it. 
Now, us as Christians, and the more you mature as a Christian, it's up to you to use discernment. When do you use compassion, and when do you save with fear? But no matter what the situation, it's always from a place of love. You come from a place of love and keep yourself in the love of God. Let's look at, at God's response going back to Jeremiah. God's response to these prophets. In verse 23 through 26, it says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. God's response to these prophets is that they're liars. These people are speaking lies, and they're doing it and using my name to do it. If you continue on, we can see the frustration and anger that God has with these people. In verse 30 through 32, it says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that still my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. God is totally against these prophets. Now, us as Christians today, we have to put ourselves in the position of being a prophet. And when I say that, not to say you prophesy anything new, because we have everything we need from the Word of God. But you're in a position of helping other people. And you're in a position of teaching them and correcting them and making sure they're following after God. You could follow after these prophets of lies and deceits and you know what God's reaction is going to be. He is against those prophets. Or you could be a prophet like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, that is truly going out and spreading the word of God and getting them back on the right track. Telling people what God actually said, not lies that these prophets came up with. The choice is ours, what kind of prophet we're going to be, what kind of Christian we're going to be to help other people come to God. In Jeremiah 23 and going down to verse 40, it says, And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. God is totally against these prophets, and He is going to bring this everlasting reproach upon these false prophets. And these are the prophets that were saying, Peace be with you. No evil will come your way. God has said all these things will, will come to you for peace. And that is not what God said. God says when you prophesy lies and deceit in my name, you're going to have an everlasting reproach upon you, and it will never be forgotten. That's a pretty serious claim, that God says he's going to have an everlasting reproach against them. Now we have to remember that we are representatives of the Lord, so we should, not, we should always have the same response as God. In Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, it says, For none of us liveth to him, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Paul's writing to the church at Rome here, and he's saying to these Christians that your life is not yours anymore. When you gave your life to Christ, you, just, you did just that. You became a Christian, and now your life 
is Christ. So if you live, you live for Christ. Even if you die, you die for Christ. Whatever we do, we do for Christ. So as Christians today, this is the attitude that we must have. Whatever we do, we're the Lord's, and we should live our lives accordingly. And God tells us to always make sure that we're not justifying the sinner or be tolerant of the sinner. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Remember at the first of the lesson, we looked at all these different things that said that they were an abomination to the Lord that made him sick. Now let's look at this. It says, even the person who justifies that person, even the people who justify the wicked or he that condemneth the just, either one, both of them are an abomination to the Lord. So we have to remember that we could easily be put ourselves in that situation where we could be an abomination to the Lord if we're justifying the sinner. We cannot afford to justify the sinner. We have to make sure that we're teaching them and helping them and not just telling them the things that they want to hear. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him a, a really good exhortation that we should all follow today as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Paul's writing to Timothy and he's telling him, you're going to come against opposition. You're going to come against these people who they don't want to endure sound doctrine. They don't want to listen to what God's Word says. I think that time is here now. Timothy faced it a couple thousand years ago, and we're facing that today. People don't want to endure sound doctrine. So what did Paul tell Timothy to do? Preach the Word. He preached the Word, and he also tells him to be instant, in season and out of season. What does that mean? If you look up the word instant, it means to stand upon it. So Paul tells Timothy, preach the word of God and stand upon that word. That is your foundation. That's your rock. You stand upon the word of God. And then he tells him in season and out of season. Well, that means in season means when it's convenient. Out of season means when it's not convenient. So Paul is telling Timothy, you preach the word of God. You stand upon that word of God when it's convenient for you to do when it's not convenient for you to do. And then he goes on to tell him that it's about to not be convenient for you to do because there's going to be people that will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to listen to what God's Word says. You're going to have opposition. They're going to have teachers looking for themselves to teach them things that they want to hear. But you stand on the Word of God. We have the same exhortation today as Christians. Preach the Word of God. You stand upon that Word of God when it's convenient for you and when it's not convenient for you. And when you have people trying to tell you to be tolerant of sin, not going to feel super convenient. But the exhortation that we have from Paul is to stand upon the Word of God no matter what. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, Love not the world, 
neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We always have to remember, too, when we're working with people, that this is where sin is going to come from, where it says in verse 16, for all that is of the word, you got the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life. All sin comes from those three things. And a lot of times, it's not easy to admit. I know all of us in this room will probably have sin in our own life today. And it's hard for us to admit that to other people. So when you're working with others and you're preaching the word of God and you're standing upon it, Realize that the people that you're working with, it's not going to be easy for them to admit either. It's going to take long-suffering and patience on our part. I want you to think about that word long-suffering for a minute. We talk about that a lot, how God is long-suffering with us. And we talk about it, how it means patience, and it does. But let's look at the word itself, long-suffering. What does it mean to suffer? That's probably not something you enjoy. Suffering means you're doing something that you don't really like to do. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. And to do it for a long time, meaning that you have patience. So when you're working with other people as well, and you're help, helping them correct the sin problems in, your, in their lives, and helping them follow after the Word of God, we're taught that we should be long-suffering. It's not always going to be a fun thing to do. It's going to take patience. It's going to take suffering on our part, but there's a very specific reason and purpose we do that. It's to help them, to help them truly do what they need to do so that they can inherit the kingdom of God, like we've talked about. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We always have to be careful, too, when we're working with other people to help overcome sin in their life. We have to be careful that we don't have fellowship with those unfruitful works have to be careful that it doesn't bleed over into our life. Influence can be a very strong thing. We have to make sure that we're always standing upon the Word of God when we're working with other people. And instead of letting them influence our lives, we have to reprove them and make sure that we're correcting them so they, that we always get better. And we have a really powerful tool as Christians that we need to make sure, let's, let's let that tool do the heavy lifting for us. And that tool is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, I've heard a few times where people would say that they don't, they're not equipped to go help someone overcome sin in their life. And here's what I'm going to tell you. None of us by ourselves are equipped to do any of that. But the Word of God is. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have the Word of God, then you have all the tools you need for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness and doctrine. The Word of God is profitable. The Word of God is your tool that you use to go help people out. And if you need help correcting other people, you have fellow brothers and sisters in this room and across the brotherhood that we can help you with that too. But you have the Word of God as your most important tool. So we need to remember while we're working with others, we need to be long-suffering with them. We need to be patient. We need to be kind. And above all, we always need to be coming from a place of love. Coming from the love of the Lord that we want to help them and we, we definitely want to help them succeed. And we absolutely do not 
want to be tolerant of sin. We should always expect a future change in the individual's behavior and rebuke the sin. So it's apparent from the study that we've looked at this morning that God hates it. And as Christians today, we should hate sin as well. We should hate sin in our own life. and We should hate sin in the lives of other people. He always has love for the sinner, and so should we. We just hate the sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. You know, God has always loved us, even when we were sinners. He loves us as a person. He hates the sin that we commit. And that's the response that we have with other people as well. We love them as people. We hate the actions that they do. That's two different things. We love the people. We hate the sin. And at some point, there is somebody who loved you enough to share the gospel with you and to show you what you were doing was wrong in your life, that you had sin and that you should repent and that you should wash away that sin in baptism. Somebody was loving enough to do that for you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, But God be thanked that ye were the sovereigns of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I want you to think back about that person. Who was that person who really came to you and said, What you're doing is wrong, and the sin in your life needs to be forgiven, and I've got the answer for you. And that answer is Jesus Christ. Who was that person in your life? I want you to think about that just for a second. And now think about, it's now your responsibility to be that person for somebody else in their life. It's your responsibility to go to that person that that you know has sin in their life, they're not following after God, and show them the answer. Show them the way that they need to go. Help those people loose the chains that they're in. See, it says right there that you are the servants of sin. They're slaves to their own sin, and they don't have a way out. They don't know what to do. And you have a way to help them break those chains of bondage, and that's through Jesus Christ. So as you continue to work with people, and we go out in the world today, the continually changing landscape, everything that's going on around us, I want you to always be making sure you're clear we don't tolerate sin. We're long-suffering, we're patient, and we're loving to help people overcome that sin in their life, just as God has wanted us to do. And if you have any sin in your life this morning and it's time for you to overcome that, then we invite you to, to do that this morning. Maybe you haven't obeyed Christ in baptism and you still have sin in your life that hasn't been forgiven yet. Well, we can help you take care of that. We can wash your sins away and God can cleanse you from, from your sins today through baptism. Or maybe you just need the prayers of the church for whatever reason. We can help you with that this morning as well. If there be one of either class and you'd like the services of the church this morning, we ask you to come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.